which we were a Central Florida simulcast location on Thursday and Friday of this week. We had a couple of hundred leaders from around our community uh, join us for that two-day conversation, and it was, it was powerful, it was uh, very helpful, and I hope that if you didn't get a chance to participate this year that you'd consider doing so next year. But I definitely want to take a moment to brag on our staff and volunteers, the small army of people that it takes to pull off something like that at a grade A level. And I can tell you, church family, you'd have been proud of the staff and volunteers of this church because it was seamless. And I was so proud as a leader in this church watching our team work so well to serve our community of leaders and make that investment in the leadership of our community. I want a special thanks to Pat and the production team who behind the scenes made it all possible. But let's join me in celebrating our team and all that they did to put that together. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're continuing a conversation that has been uh, ongoing for a little while here as we're looking through uh, Peter's letter to the first century Christians in ancient Rome who were undergoing some immense, uh, just terrible, horrific uh, experiences as, as new believers in Christ. And this letter was written to encourage them on basically how to endure through the hard stuff of life as a believer who is striving to honor God but not grow bitter with the world as just the weight of the world continues to crash in on our shoulders. Uh, we had um, a conversation last week that was a weighty one. Uh, there was quite a few of you that I heard feedback from actually this past week, a lot actually. Um, and so I'm, I was encouraged by your response to last week's sermon that was, that was difficult and weighty uh, because it just reminded me that our people here uh, are leaning in. They really want to know truth and they want to absorb it. And they're willing to hear it even if it's rubbing against the grain of what's comfortable. Um, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of being a part of an environment that is based around the word of God and that hasn't been shaped around the prejudices of their pastor. But you truly are leaning into the truth of the word of God and want to be transformed by that. Today's going to be, in addition to that, another one of these more difficult discussions. And I say difficult just because it rubs against the grain of what feels normal to us. This is a different sermon that we're seeing preached out of the Word of God than what you see when you're standing in the grocery aisle and you walk by the tabloid magazines. And I tell you, like, it's, it's difficult in the 21st century to be a people of faith who continue to walk in faithfulness to God and in His ways because once a week we're gathering together and we're declaring the Word of God over us and we're saying, all right, I know what the truth is, I'm going to live this out of my life. And then for the rest of the week you're hearing sermons of a different kind. Just being crammed down your throat. And you're seeing the people that you know and love kind of buy into that and gravitate towards that way of thinking and doing and being. And it's difficult not to just follow suit. But let me tell you, like, don't forget the simple fact that our divine and all-powerful creator God that fearfully and wonderfully made you in your mother's womb, that crafted you and shaped you in his image, that he made your innermost parts. He knows you full well. That in his word, when he calls us to be obedient in a certain thing, even if it rubs against the grain of what's comfortable, that he is doing so with the full knowledge of how you work. He knows exactly how you tick. And so when he tells us to do something that's uncomfortable or doesn't make sense, he's doing so from the place of the creator, who knows that like the greatest vitality of your life, and in today's discussion, your marriage... It always works best when it's done his way because he designed it. Even when it doesn't make sense. It was his design and he has not left us alone as a people trying to figure out how to live a faithful Christian life. But he's given us his word that is timeless and true. And it's meant to be used as a tool for transforming us as we are reintroduced time and time again. Every morning when you get into it, every weekend when we open up the Word of God together, it's meant to reintroduce us time and time again to the glory of God and His perfect plan and strategy for our lives and to shaping us into the image of Christ Jesus. So today we're going to be talking about marriage. That just happens to be the next piece of this discussion that Peter writes to these people in first century Rome, whose city has been burned by Nero, whose the Christians are being blamed for burning the city even though it was him. Christians are being martyred at unprecedented levels. They're being thrown into the Colosseum to be devoured by wild beasts for sport. It's a horrific time in the life of a Christian. But yet, for some reason, 
Peter thinks it's valuable enough to speak to the most foundational principle of marriage for a people who are working to endure through the hard stuff in a godly and biblical way. Let's be honest. Like, there is something true for those of you that are in marriage relationships. You know that enduring through the hard stuff of life means that you got to get things right at home first. Because when things ain't right at home, nothing's right. It's just how it works. It's how we were designed. You know how it is. And so we're going to dive into it, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like, there, there is a million and one different great marriage sermons that we could preach, looking at all the different layers of biblical marriage and what it should look like in the 21st century context. But what we're going to be looking at today is probably the most foundational principle of biblical marriage, and it is one that oftentimes is overlooked, underappreciated, and, and quite honestly, a lot of the marriage sermon series that I hear it's almost as if the script was written around this particular principle because this is one that's tough to swallow and it's countercultural. So that's probably why even in the Christian church there are still fractures in the foundation of Christian marriage because we like to leapfrog over this one because it's not as tasty as some of the others. And it's a real raw talk, but we're going to open up that conversation for you today and let God's Word drive our conversation. But we did think it would be best to have this with our wives present uh, in this conversation. This is my wife, Ansley. That's Cameron's wife, Sarah Beth. And if you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. Remember that when Peter wrote this letter, there wasn't a big number 3 in the middle of the letter. We put chapters and verses in way after the fact just so we knew where to find stuff. But this is one ongoing conversation that he's in the middle of encouraging Christ's followers to have submissive hearts, most of all to the Lord, but submissive to governing authority, submissive to the boss, the people that God has placed in charge over you in this life. And then he gets into this very difficult one right here as it washes up on the shore of our own households. And he says this, likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. You checked out yet? Likewise, wives, be subject or submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, but by the conduct of the wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In other words, all wives, he's saying, need to be subject as an act of worship to God, to their husbands. Even those of you that are in marriage relationships where your husband is not a believer or if your husband is, proclaims to be a believer but doesn't live like it, even those categories as well. Don't worry, we're going to tease it all out. Don't check out yet. He says, do not let your, be ador your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold and jewelry and clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, and you are her children. And if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's stop right there, and I'm going to ask these ladies up here. How did that make you feel the first time you came across this passage? You know, I'm going to be honest. The first time that I remember coming face-to-face -face with this passage, I didn't like it at all. It rubbed me the wrong way, and it, it made me a little bit mad. Um, so this is kind of rewinding the tape a little bit back to early high school Ansley, where I was definitely waving the flag of anything boys can do, girls can do better. And you're not going to tell me that... I'm going to have to submit to someone. That seemed very foreign. That did not seem like a good idea. And if that's kind of how you felt when you heard these words this morning, I would just encourage you to lean in a little closer and see what the Lord has for you um, in this passage today. Um, I do find this sometimes a little bit cringy. Um, the words, like Ansley said, can tend to rub me the wrong way. As a, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in a home with a really attentive and present father and the, uh, parents who were very much a team. And so um, the way that I saw this played out in my family of origin was very peaceable, very unifying, very strengthening. 
Um, and by God's grace, the husband that I'm married to has always empowered and equipped me to answer God's call on my life. And so um, not that I don't have this stubborn streak of wanting to do it, but that I have had God's grace to see this played out really beautifully. And so even though um, some of these words are maybe like, subject what? Weaker what? Um, ultimately, I have had kind of a positive experience seeing this fleshed out because I've seen some of the beauty and the strength that exists in a marriage. But I acknowledge that that's often a really rare experience to have. And so we know that coming into this passage, the people sitting in this room have a lot of different experiences approaching the word of God. Um, some of my closest friends have abusive or absent fathers. And so the idea of submission or a sacrificial love from a husband in a home is completely foreign to them. That trauma influences how they approach the word of God. And I have friends whose husbands have been um, completely passive and absent or completely domineering or have um, walked through moral failure. And it is very hard to know how to approach the God um, who loves us when he's giving us instructions like this in such a painful marriage experience. So we want to like Ansley said, encourage you. Um, this is about hope. This is a hopeful thing that God is asking wives to do because of his sufficiency for us, not because of a husband's sufficiency. And so that hope is found in God, as we'll see as we get into this passage. Well, I'm curious too, though, ladies, like you've obviously married men of faith and men who also are faith leaders. So how much easier is it for you to be submissive than it is for some of the other ladies in the group? None easier. <laughs> But you married because shockingly, <laughs> these two fellas mess up often. Yeah, we honestly, we often, we often fall into the category of even some that do not obey the word. Yeah. I, I can, I easily slip into the category of a man who proclaims to be a believer but isn't living like it. Could you elaborate? Um, I think they got the point. Uh, there's plenty of like not Jesus things that happen in my life that come out of my mouth that are in the attitudes of my heart. So Jesus, I mean, so Ansley gets a full-blown example of a husband not being faithful to that as well. And so, yeah, I'm sure it doesn't come, this doesn't come as any easier to swallow because you pro mine probably immediately goes to all the reasons why it's not easy or you shouldn't because of the guys that you married. But You know, there's a specific context into which Peter is speaking. But, but again, we, we want to remind you this isn't just about Christian wives who are married to not yet believing husbands. This is as much about Christian wives married to Christian husbands who are not walking in the fair way of God's design. And so God has something to say to all of us. But specifically, Peter is talking in this passage to Christian wives married to not yet believing husbands. Because here's the deal. As the gospel goes forth in the world and as Jesus rescues people and passes them from death to life, Jesus doesn't always rescue couples together. Sometimes God just saves one spouse in a season in order to eventually do a greater work for the entire family. And so if that's you and you're in that situation, that relational dynamic, this is not a shameful place to be. This is an encouraging place to be that God is at work and is working even though we may not see it or feel it or recognize it. And so I want to encourage you like you are in the what may feel like a minority, but Peter talked about this. This was a majority in the first century, yeah, right? which kind of strikes me as relatively interesting in this passage that if this would have been just a small group of ladies that had this experience in the first century Christian church, he probably wouldn't have spent the ink on it. This was obviously epidemic. I mean, this was obviously an issue that was loaded up in the first century church. Women who loved the Lord, who were part of the movement of the gospel and one of the most difficult times in Christian history, but yet we're returning home to men who weren't believers. Like this, obviously, there was a bunch of them. And I wish I could say that, like, that is a first century problem, but quite honestly, that's a 21st century problem, too. Our churches are full of mostly ladies. Our children's ministries are led by mostly ladies. Um, honestly, a lot of homes um, are led by ladies. There's a spiritual leader in the house. Like, men have kind of just, re just abdicated this whole responsibility in their life but like this to me is so much a testament to the resilience of these first century Christian women that had less than perfect situations in their marriage 
but who loved Jesus and wanted to see the gospel transform the lives of the people they love. Remember, it was their city that was being burnt to the ground too. It was their loved ones that were being martyred for the faith too. It was them who were going out and risking their lives by day to further the gospel in a world that it was not acceptable. It was them that were opening up their homes and inviting friends over for meals so that they could experience the love of Christ and being in Christian community. And yet they had husbands in their home that not only were probably rejecting this work that they were doing, but believed in other gods altogether. Like this was a really rough situation. Imagine the resilience of these women to continue to press the gospel forward, knowing it was risking their lives to get it to where it is today. We have much, we have much to say in thanksgiving for women who faithfully carry the word of God as a mantle on their shoulders, no matter the dynamic of their in-home environment or their outside of the home environment. Like this is, this is in part how the gospel got this far. Yeah, these, these are heroes of the faith. They, gonna... These women, whoever he's talking to, are some tough ladies that are heroes of the faith. And obviously it must have been tons of them for him to take the time to do that. Yeah, I think the cultural context is so important for us to wrap our brains around because we can't help but approach this with our particular cultural moment in mind. Like we're coming to the text often with our 21st century ideals of womanhood and manhood. Um, and what was going on in marriages in the first century it looked very different. Under Jewish law, women were things to be owned. They, when they were married, um, they essentially became the property of their husband like a sheep or a goat. A husband could dismiss a, a wife at any time for any reason, and she had no right to leave him for any reason. Um, in Greek civilization, a woman would have always had to maintain the same religion as her husband. So the fact that these women Peter is speaking to have already stepped out of that, have already um, not followed their duty to obey their husband's gods is a really big deal. These women have taken a courageous step to follow the one true God. Um, because first century Greco-Roman wives essentially had no rights, the fact that Peter is speaking to them here indicates the powerful need to speak to the oppressed and vulnerable. He's talking to a group of women who could have been dismissed by their husbands. He's talking to a group of women who are incredibly vulnerable, and Peter is taking care to speak to them to give them hope, to give them a godly option. He's giving them a way to anchor their hope in the Lord and out of reverence for him, walk in a submission that will hopefully change the heart of their husband. He's giving them a hopeful way to walk out this new faith in Christ that will affect change in their families. You know, I think we miss sometimes that Peter throughout this chapter 2 and chapter 3, he is speaking to oppressed people who are living under oppressive regimes. He's speaking out against the governing authority, Nero, who's burning down the city. He's speaking against masters who are abusive to their slaves. And he's speaking against the potential of husbands that were taking advantage of and abusing their wives. So it's, it's a really countercultural thing he's calling them to, isn't it? Absolutely. And so now that we're seeing the cultural context of it, what does that look like for your home and for your living room and for your marriage? Um, well, Peter's reminding us in the first two mission, in the first two verses, that submission to husbands can move hearts towards submission to Christ. Amen. Did you catch that? That's pretty heavy. That your submission to your husband can move his heart in submission to Jesus Christ. And although I've come a long way from the very first time I heard this, like Dustin mentioned earlier, it is still hard to submit each day, but. It's a lot easier when I can digest that Dustin is seeing Christ in me and that me submitting to Dustin as my husband is a daily reminder for him to submit to the Lord. And I need this constant reminder in God's word. And we have to be in God's word to see what God is calling us to do. But if you're a visual learner like me, um, we have our vows from when we got married in our bedroom in, in really big frames so and that you can see them. When she says really big, she means bigger than any frame you have in your house. He thinks they're a little too big. They're like four foot by three foot. They're not that big. Each one of them. <laughs> so like when I rise in the morning and I sit up in my bed, it is like, directly down from the foot of my bed, I see the vows that I said to her on our wedding day in big four-foot 
because uh, as his helpmate, and I next, knew that we next, both. Uh, yeah, and she, hers are right next to hers. Like, that's the first thing we see when we wake up in the morning, to see that reminder. Yeah, and I need that daily reminder. <laughs> I need to be in God's word, but I also need to be reminded of the vow that I made to him before the Lord. And the very first sentence of my vows to Dustin say, today I have the privilege of committing my life to you as an act of worship to the God that we serve. Well, that's a really big reminder, especially if like the night before he wasn't so maybe worthy of submission. Um, but God is. Which is rare, <laughs> by the way. I'm kidding. But these verses are a charge to us as wives to allow our daily respect and conduct to be the very tools that God uses to captivate the hearts of our husband. Maybe for the very first time in your home, if you have an unbelieving husband, or as a daily reminder, pushing them towards Jesus as we submit to them, they will then submit to Jesus. And even though I am obviously a man of faith and I'm a faith leader in our community, like Ansley's, Ansley doing that wins my heart back to the Lord over and over again as well. Um, as I mentioned before, like God wired me and he wired you. Like he knows how you work, men. He knows how your men work, ladies. And he knew that somewhere in the deep recesses of a man's heart that, like, the way to really capture him is this right here. Like, th this, this is the, the tools that God has put in the belt of godly women to say, you know what? Like, when you walk through the aisle at the grocery store and you see all the magazines and they are proclaiming to you, or you, you see the commercials on TV and they're proclaiming to you, well, the way to a man is really through his eyes is, is what they're telling you. That if you, you can persuade him to get whatever you want, as long as you look a certain way, wear a certain product, do a certain thing, God's saying, nah, I'm handing you the keys to a man's heart. And, I, and this, this is the way that I've designed him to be won over and brought back to me over and over again. And this is how I want to use you, ladies, to do it. This is a reminder, ladies, like that God has placed, placed you in the crosshairs of his love for the man that he's given you. He's stuck you right in the middle. And God intends to love that man and transform that man through you. And through your obedience to the Lord, ultimately, and, and as well as how it fleshes out in the home. You know, I said this, um, I said this first service. One of the reasons that uh, the wife's submissive subjection to her husband is such a powerful thing to draw his heart back to the Lord is because it is a model and a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for the church that he came to love and yeah. to wash and to make holy and pure. Philippians 2. The very same church yeah. that rejected him and put him on a cross and crucified him. And, and so a, a wife's submission, whether we deserve it or not, and often we don't, is a picture of the gospel being displayed in our homes, and that's why it draws our heart, because it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, and it is the kindness of God through our wives living out the life of Christ, of subjection and submission that leads us to repentance. And we realize, wow, yeah. like this is Jesus coming to me from my wife, yeah. and I need to repent of the ways in which I wasn't being Jesus back. Amen, amen. Yeah. And, th and that has happened. Uh, that has happened and does happen. So... That's just a basic backdrop of the why. Um, but let's really go in and take a deep dive and just have a look at what submission is and what it isn't um, so that we have a clear understanding. I think it would probably be best served for our time if we start out by talking about what submission is not. And I'll go first because i got a lot of evidence of ways I tried to do it but realized <laughs> okay. it wasn't it. Take us through the ain't. Here, we'll here's what submission isn't. is not. It is not, first and foremost, it does not mean agreeing. With everything your husband says. Can I get an amen, ladies? Amen. How do we know that's minute. true? I didn't check these notes before you started. Listen, man. I'm, I'll give you my notes later, okay? <laughs> Submission is not agreeing with everything your husband says. We see this in verse 1. How? She's a Christian. He is not. He has one set of ideas about ultimate reality. She has a completely different set of ideas about ultimate reality. And guess who's right? She is. Because her heart is tethered to the one true God who has given his life for her. That tells us that submission can't mean submitting to agree with all her husband thinks. Number two, submission also does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the altar. Marriages, Christian, marriage, Christian marriages specifically need wives to have a mind of their own. One who is able to think 
and listen for God's voice and discern what God is saying and what God is doing so that they can bring those discerning thoughts to their husbands. You know, in the early book, uh, in the early chapters of Genesis, in the creation story, we're told that God put Adam to sleep and took out a rib and created the woman. And you know we don't understand women because we were asleep when you were created, so cut us some slack. But God brought the woman to Adam. I wasn't planning that joke, so I just lost my train of thought. But I'm so glad you laughed. So God brought the woman to Adam. And you know what he called her? He called her a helpmeet or literally a helper suitable. Here's the problem with that. In the English, helper isn't a very strong word. It, it makes it feel like she's kind of this subordinate associate who, like, does menial tasks and, and kind of goes to the store and, like, like gets the things that we need. But, but literally that word helper is the word ezer, E-Z-E-R in the Hebrew. And it speaks of God and the way that he helps humanity. In other words, what God is saying in bringing this woman to Adam is, I created one who is strong in ways you are not and is coming alongside to help you in ways you could not get the thing done. Does that make sense? You are a helper suitable to the tasks in which your husband is not able to get the thing done, which tells us that a wife, for her to help and serve her husband, she has to have a mind of her own. And she must be able to flourish in the gifts and the abilities that God has given to her. And if anything, this idea of a woman being a suitable helper conveys that, a woman, that women are stronger than men in many different areas. And, and here's the point. It's not that she lacks things that he has but that she has things that he lacks. Does that make sense? I want to say that again. That's a good line. Wives, listen, this does not mean you being a helper suitable. It does not mean that you... We got wives on the front row clapping. Amen. Okay. <laughs> it does not mean that you lack things that your husband has. It's that you have things that he lacks. And speaking personally, it, for us, it means that, gosh, my wife has clearer thinking, quicker deducing, better conclusions most of the time. We talk about a truth square in our house, and usually she's the first one to get to the truth square uh, because I have to feel my way through every box and if I don't feel the right way. And so, like, we complement each other well. That's why he said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Complementarity. She is strong when I am weak, and I am weak when she is strong and vice versa. Being, a, being submitted does not mean we Ladies, you check your mind and your will at the door. We need you to listen for God's voice. Yeah, those are two great examples of what submission is not. Here's a couple more. We'll give you four. Um, submission does not mean avoiding every effort to bring about change in your husband. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. All right, Randy, I get it. We got an amen from a dude on that one. Okay, good. Um. Pay close attention. This whole passage is about change. This whole passage that we're reading is God showing the woman, like, this is the way that I have designed for you. To access a deep recess in the place of your husband's heart and so impact his life that it actually transforms him and it changes the way he looks at God. Amen. That's what he's saying. The exact words that he says, be submissive to your own husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they would be one this is winsome behavior that creates transformation. And it's winsome without a word. Without a word. I love that, man. It's just in the posture of her heart and the attitude of her being and the way that she is loving and serving and being submissive to him. And so, like, yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, ladies, like, God has put you in the life of that man to be an agent of change. Now, be careful how you hear that because I know that many of you have kind of commissioned yourself as pointing out all of his faults. That kind of comes naturally. I'm sure they're on full display. I know that mine are. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, as I mentioned before, like God has placed you in the crosshairs of his love for that man. And he has put you in that man's life as an agent for change. And that the spirit of God within you is going to be transforming and changing that man into the likeness of Christ. And yes, God wants to use you in the process. Let me ask a question. Do you believe that God can change your husband without using your words? That's a deep question. Uh, God's I'm word sure. says it. <laughs> harder for us is are we willing as wives to allow God to change our husbands without our words mm. are we going to submit to his power and authority and say no God I don't know better but you do so next time we get in an argument I can say change me oh. without your words mm. please 
Wait, let, let's speak to that for a okay, moment. Like, no, I'm just playing. 11 just o'clock playing. always gets a little more. Uh, yeah, you always get that. We, we didn't talk about half of this stuff in the other services. So, But um, I do love that you recognize that you would need to be changed at an argument. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, this is good. Give me some popcorn. Okay. What's next? What's next this about what's This submission? is the danger, okay, of talking about marriage with your spouse on stage. You can't Listen, get he, away with anything. He, <laughs> this passage isn't about wives. It's not about renouncing every effort to change your right. husband. It's choosing to do it the way that God says Absolutely. works. Absolutely. And God will do that because Amen. I can assure you that immensely more than you are committed to seeing change in the life of your husband, God is so much more committed to Amen. that. And it, it is the loving kindness of God to let you be a part of that transformation process. And so don't think that being submissive means that you aren't actively participating in that, prayerfully participating in that. The fourth thing we wanted to give to you is submission also does not mean that a wife gets her personal and spiritual strength from her husband. Um, fellas, like, you need to play an active role in fanning the flame of strengthening your wife personally, spiritually. Like, that's part of the role of a husband. But, like, ladies, no. I want you to know, like, God has, in his, in his perfect forethought has designed your man to come up short yeah. in that category so that there would be a gap, so that there would be a longing from your heart that he would be more than he is. You know why God put that gap there? So that he could step in and be the hero of the story. He didn't want you to be completely satisfied. And fellas, that's not letting you off the hook. You have a responsibility to lay down your life for her as Christ did for the church. Like that's clear in scripture, Ephesians 5. But ladies, he will come up short, and God wants to step into that story. And he wants to be the deeper place that you draw your source and your life and your identity from. Not how well your man is performing that day as a husband. Not how kind or how gentle he is being with you that day. But that you would draw from a deeper place that even when your husband falls away short, that you're still finding your strength and significance from King Jesus. Ladies, what happens when a wife places their utmost significance and value and worth in their husband? I am, wait, how did you ask that? In my head, you asked it differently. Answer how you heard it, because that's usually what I meant. <laughs> when I place my significance and value in you. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Then I am tossed to and fro by whatever your mood or attitude or success or failure is. Mm -hmm. But when my significance and my confidence is placed in Christ Jesus, then I have an anchor that's secure. I'm not blown about and tossed by his whims or his failures or his successes. What's your, really what's your um, poco? I think okay. it's poquito. Oh. No tiendo. <laughs> Good question, though. Good question. Is that a story? Did you want to respond to that? No. Say rest. Oh, okay. I was representative <laughs> of how you felt as well. Um, so that, that's just, those are four things of what submission is not. Uh, there's plenty more we could roll out, but like those are four key principles. Now let's turn it over to the ladies a little bit and let them talk us through what submission actually is and what that looks like. So we're kind of looking at verses three through six here where Peter's talking about um, not letting our adorning be external, but letting the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Um, I've, I have always wanted to be considered a gentle and quiet spirit. <laughs> I don't feel like those are natural phrases that people who know me best would choose to describe me. Amen. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I think one of the difficulties as women approach this is in part the reality that our culture tells us our role is somehow less valuable to the kingdom of God or our responsibility in the kingdom is just not as good, that his, his responsibility is better. And I want to point out for us before we even take apart some of these verses that God has created this, um, this unity, this complementarity to function in a way that glorifies him and strengthens both of us. Cam's role is not more important than mine. Mine is not more important than his. These function together in a way that glorifies the Lord. Um, okay, so, and if you came thinking that Ansley and I were going to give you like a list of here's what submission looks like in your home, we can't. 
because the unique expression of Christ's life in you is going to look different in your house than it looks in ours. The ways that I submit to Cam out of reverence for the Lord look different than how Ansley submits to Dustin out of reverence for the Lord. So we're not giving you a checklist, but we are going to give you some principles to consider in your own homes. Um, the first part of this message, or this text, Peter's talking about that adorning in gold jewelry. And a quick note, he is not saying that um, beauty is sinful or that enjoying um, beautification rituals is somehow anti-Christian in any way. He's pointing out the contrast between what lasts and what doesn't. And he's done this throughout the whole book. He's used these words several times, perishable and imperishable. And so what he's doing in that first part is drawing our attention to the reality that um, what is perishable, external appearance, um, is and comparing it to what is imperishable, which is this the way that I adorn my heart and my thoughts. And so in the context of marriage, there's this infinite beauty and preciousness um, to be found when a wife walks in the role God designed for her. In verse 4, he says it's a, the, in the hidden person of the heart. So this means, first of all, number one, that submission is an inner disposition. It's a choice a wife makes, um, and it doesn't look particular specific ways in every home because the, this is um, unique to each wife. Because submission is an adornment of the hidden person of the heart, we're talking about a heart submitted to the Lord out of reverence for him. And Peter calls this a precious thing. The word in uh, verse 4, precious, actually means very costly. He's acknowledging that this is hard and costly for a wife. But he's also saying that that is precious to God that God takes great joy in this costly choice, this inner, um, inner posture that we take as wives to submit to our husbands. And so we find, um, we find a great joy in submitting to God and to our husbands because we are showing in so doing that we've placed our hope in God and not in the man that we're married to. So that kind of leads me to the second part, which is that submission is an act of faith. It's a choice of belief where I place my hope in God and not in Cam. And in my own marriage, I think the difficulty for me is I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm fearful that if I take a submissive posture, this knucklehead is going to be like, yeah, and submit, woman. Like, I'm scared that he's going to get it wrong. I'm scared that he is not going to trust the life of Christ in him. And so my fear leads me to a posture of wanting to control or manipulate to secure my safety. But if my security is in Christ, if my belief in God is anchoring me, then I don't have to fear when he gets it wrong because Christ Jesus cares for me and indwells me even in that. And so submission is an act of faith. It's saying I'm trusting God in my husband if he is a believer, and I am trusting God for my husband if he is not yet a follower of Christ. Now, babe, let me jump in. When... When her heart is anchored in Christ and I fail her, it does not destroy you because you know that, one, I'm accountable to God. And two, you can still pray me and love me in a way towards repentance. Mm -hmm. But if your hope was in me, you're going to have a hard time wanting to prayerfully, lovingly, move me into a place of repentance. And so this hoping in God and not your husband is also a safeguard from the fearful posture that the enemy wants you to have as a result of sin entering into the story. Yeah, and so as we're hoping in God and worshipfully submitting, submission requires us to die to our flesh daily. You know, the world has this really skewed um, idea of what wives submitting to their husbands look like. It's almost this weak, mousy behavior that they see when in reality, if any of you wives have practiced true submission in your home, that requires a lot of strength <laughs> because it's hard sometimes because we are all sinners, because we are needing the grace of Jesus every single day. So submission requires a lot of strength, and it requires me to die to my flesh every single day. But from the very beginning of creation in Genesis, where sin enters into the world and the fall takes place, we hear this curse. Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. 
So part of my sin nature as a wife is to contend with my husband, to want the role that God gave to the husband. And that's why God was so kind and so generous in setting up a sovereign design for how marriage needed to look and how it needed to be within our home. Because sometimes my flesh doesn't always love what God says is good or right or true or lovely or pure. And sometimes I don't like his sovereign order. Sometimes what God says is best doesn't look best to me. But that's when I'm reminded that I don't know more than the creator. I am not wiser than the creator of the universe. Proverbs 16, 25 says it really plainly. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Our ways are not greater than his, and our temptation to think so is just another reminder of my daily need for his grace. Because it's in the moments when I may be begrudgingly submitting to Dustin or asking for forgiveness that I'm thankful for the rescuing mercy of an ever-present redeemer. Because submission is voluntary selflessness. It's daily dying to my flesh and constantly retreating to the feet of my father. Well, let's call it what it is, too. You and Sarah Beth are both very natural leaders. Like, y'all would be able to lead well with or without us. And the fact that even in your role within our family, that even as a, a leader, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how well you know Ansley. I mean, she has a graduate degree in leadership. She's the vice president of the organization she works in. Like, she leads just fine. Um, but it's, an, it's, it's a, just an act of humble submission before the Lord that she voluntarily submits herself to me when we walk through the doors of our house. Because this is our family, and this is the way that God has ordered it for his glory. In our purpose, so certainly doesn't diminish at all the capability of these two women right here. You know, here we did we sure. didn't say this first or second service, yeah. but th the idea of a wife willingly submitting herself to her husband is a picture of our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit organizing themselves in a likewise manner. The Father sent the Son, and the Son, who is equal with the Father, submitted Himself to the will of the Father so that He could come and redeem us from sin and death. And the Spirit submitted himself to the Son and was sent on our behalf. And he came at Jesus' sending when Jesus ascended back to heaven. That's a great picture. This is a beautiful yeah. picture that, that God isn't asking us, you, to do what he has not already done. And now empowered us to live out through the power of his indwelling life through the Spirit of God. We didn't just pick this out of somewhere in order to push back against the culture. This is God's design for our flourishing and that really brings it full circle and kind of ties it together nicely because as you heard from Sarah Beth, submission is an inner posture of the heart, a choice a wife makes. And submission is an act of faith in God, placing my hope in him and not in my husband. Submission does require a wife to die to the flesh daily, but submission ultimately is an act of worship, obedience to God who designed these unique roles for unity in marriage. Dustin and I go to a lot of weddings um, that he does the ceremonies for. And one of my favorite parts in the ceremony is when he speaks directly to the bride and the groom. And he's reminding them that their greatest act of worship to the Lord will be how they love, honor, and respect one another. By daily inviting the Lord to love their spouse through them. Amen. And marriage is a gift. Um, marriage is a gift. And it's, if you are in a marriage relationship... Those are great words to be reminded by, that this, this, is, this isn't just a call to conformity and obedience um, that comes out of obligation. This is a call um, that we would worship God out of our adoration of him, that we would worship God through the way that we love and serve, the one that God has appointed as ours and given to us as a spouse. And um, so that, those are just some basic principles. Obviously, there can be a lot more discussion about that. As a matter of fact, Chris and Tina will this Wednesday night on Facebook at 8 o'clock during our split screen live stream Facebook chat on Wednesday nights at 8. Uh, one of our other pastors, Chris, and his wife, Tina, are going to be teasing this out even further in an interactive environment on Facebook. We hope that you'll tune in. But You know, all those questions you had, take it to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be a great time to ask all the hard ones why they have cameras on them. Um, so we can't let the guys off the hook. Matter of fact, Peter doesn't either. Uh, and, and quite honestly, fellas, I'm wondering if you can feel the gravity like I do of the role that God has called me to 
even before I get to the verse that is aimed at me. <laughs> when I'm hearing God tell my wife that she needs to honor him by submitting to me, I feel like the, the weight just settled down on my shoulders. I really do. Like, I, I feel the pressure of that, that I would live a life that's submit worthy. I, honestly, like, I, I really believe that, that if Ephesians 5 says, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. Like, if men love their wives like Christ loved the church, women would have no problem submitting to their husbands. But we don't feel the gravity of that. And even some spiritual man in the room, you're going to jump in your truck on the way to lunch and say, submit, woman. You heard what the pastor said, like, in a joking way. But for real, like, you ought to feel the weight of that come crushing on you like that God has commissioned you as a leader and a servant of your home so much so that he is that he has told the wife to voluntarily line herself up under you I feel the pressure and God wants us to feel that pressure and recognize just the gravity and the importance of our role as men in the family and this is how Peter puts it listen he says likewise husbands notice that word likewise keeps popping up in other words I've been calling you to submit to your governing authorities, calling you to submit to your boss at work, calling wives to submit to your husbands. And the first word that he says to husbands is likewise. In other words, there's a submissive posture of your heart too. Maybe you're not being called to submit to the leadership of your wife, but I'm telling you, you are being called to submit and subordinate your needs to hers. And he says, likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's some really strong phrases in there. The first one that pops out is, likewise, husbands, live in an understanding with your wives, who is a weaker vessel. Let's talk about the weaker vessel. Actually, I'm going to have Cameron talk about the weaker vessel thing. What does that mean, Pastor Cam? Thanks, man. Appreciate that. (laughs) Ladies. It's like nails on a chalkboard a little bit, isn't it? Na- weaker vessel. Here, here, here's what it's not saying. It, it's not a derogatory term. The idea of being a vessel is simply being an instrument of God. And we're all called vessels. Acts 9, Romans 9. But Peter's making a comparative here. Wives, women are weaker than who? What? Husbands. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that women, that wives are weaker morally. He's not saying that. He's not saying that women are somehow more susceptible to temptation and to sin. He's not saying that. I know that my wife is more disciplined than I am in most areas. I don't believe that he's also saying that wives and women are are weaker emotionally speaking. Come on now. Most of the men I know don't know how to find their way out of any kind of emotional situation and share it with somebody else. But, but a woman who is able to verbalize and share her emotions, that shows great confidence and boldness as well. He's also not talking about women and wives being weaker in a sense of worth and value and significance. How do I know that? Because he's about to tell us a little bit later in the verse that we are fellow heirs in the grace of life. So what is he saying? Three things he's saying. First thing I believe strongly that he's saying is that generally speaking, women, wives, are generally speaking weaker physically than their husbands. I know, I know where all my CrossFit girls at. I know that's different in the culture in which we live today. But generally speaking, biologically speaking, men are stronger physically than women. And Peter's issuing a warning. Men, there should never, ever, ever be any hint of any kind of physical abuse or domination in the home, ever. That is anti-Christ, and it's never a godly option, and you are going to be tempted at times to use your strength physically to dominate your wife because that's how the enemy is going to move you if you're not careful. Second thing he's talking about is, is that women are weaker vessels speaking socially weaker. We already talked about the context of the first century. Women and wives especially, you were a, an object to be owned and discarded at the pleasure of the man. And I think most of you would agree with me that even today, women are in a far greater way abused and manipulated and taken advantage of. And so Peter is saying, listen, you live in a culture and in a world And I'm telling you, husbands, you live in a culture and in a world where the system of the fallen world in which we live is set up to abuse and to take advantage of our women and our children. 
And we must push back against that and be ready to go to, go to war against that and to cover our wives. But, but the third and, and most significant, I think, is that our women are weaker vessels in this sense in the terms of authority in the context of the marriage relationship itself. What I mean is Peter, and even Paul later in Ephesians 5, talks about husbands having a role of leadership in the home, that we are the head of the household. Why? Again, Jesus is the head of the church, and the church subordinates itself under Jesus. We are the head of the home, and the wives willingly, voluntarily show themselves to be vulnerable by coming underneath our authority. And husbands, if you are not careful you will dominate, you will abuse, or you will abdicate your re relationship and your leadership authority if you're not careful. Yeah. We see this in the story of Adam. Go back to Genesis in the creation account. And Adam had two temptations that were always staring him in the face when it came to his role in leading his home. To abdicate and check out or to abuse and to dominate. And neither of those are godly options for a man who belongs to Christ. And if, husband, if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, and what he means by understanding way, you know what that means in the Greek? It doesn't mean, oh, you just need to figure out that like she's different than you. know. that literally means in the Greek, according to God's will for you. Husbands, love your wives according to the way that God has willed it to be. And that is, one, understanding the ways in which she is weaker, but also that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. You know what that means? It means that when we stand before God, husbands, your wife is not standing beneath you or behind you. She's standing beside you. As an heir of the grace of life and that both of us, we stand justified, covered and clothed in the righteousness of Christ because we are both image bearers of the one true God. Men, do not think that you are somehow better off in your relationship with God because of your anatomy. Like we are right with God, both of us, saved by grace through faith because of the benevolent kindness of God in saving and rescuing us. And if husbands, if you do not love your wife understanding these things... Man, he's got a warning for yeah. us. Well, I, man, to speak to the authority thing, man, the inherent, the, inher the inherent authority of a man, whether we want to ignore it, whether we disagree with it or not, it's a real thing. Like, even in the Christian realm, man, I've seen statistics even as of recently. Like, if the first family member to come to Christ is a child, there's 11% chance the rest of the family will come to know Christ. If the first family, a person in the family to come to know Christ is the mother, is the woman, like a 42% chance that the rest of the family will come to know Christ. If it's the man, if it's the husband, if it's the dad, if he's the first one to come to know Christ, there's a 92% chance that the, that, that the rest of the family will come to know Jesus. Like that is, a, that is a divine authority that has been placed on your life. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree that it exists or not, it's there. And like this is a calling on men to be submissive to God as a means of loving and serving their wives and family, knowing that he has placed a mantle on your shoulders of authority, and God intends to use that for his glory. And before we jump into this last little piece, when he talks about those that don't honor their wives and live with them in an understanding way, that their prayers will be hindered, I got a question for you, Cam. Like, I'm, I'm certain, I'm, surely, we have mamas and wives in this church family that are hearing us rail on about being submissive to their husbands, even when they're not believers, even when they claim to be believers but don't act like it. But, like, what do we have, what do we say, Pastor Cam, to the wife who is in an environment where her husband truly is abusing that authority and has taken advantage of his physical authority in the house and has even gone as far as, like, physically abusing her or the children? What do, what do we say to her? Get out. Call us. We'll come and move you. We'll get the authorities involved if necessary. This is a, an anti-Christ posture. And we, are, we care and are concerned about your safety, about the safety of your children. And we don't pretend to imagine that there isn't domestic abuse going on, especially in this context of COVID and corona right now. 
Like there's depression that is rampant, not only in the homes of adults, but children as well. And tensions are up because people have been forced to be in the same place and may or may not have godly options of how to navigate all of that stress in this season. And so we want to challenge you, like if you are in that place, pick up the phone and call us at the church so that we can advocate and try to step into the gap with you. We have contact numbers about a women's shelter here in our community and lots of resources to be able to come alongside of you. But conversely is true, wives. Yeah, yeah hear what we're saying. Um, when Cam's saying so boldly to get out, like we're not telling you to run to the courthouse and get out of the marriage. We're telling you to get out of the house, out of the situation. We, we totally trust and believe that in the space that God could use these very principles we're talking about right now to capture and transform the heart of even an abusive man. That would be the greater win, the greater glory of God, by God using you and your humble, faithful obedience as a woman to trust God in the hard stuff and allow God to transform the life of that man. But, yeah, you have a responsibility to protect you and your children physically, so maybe you need to get out. And let's be honest, we live in a day and age where CrossFit women are pretty tough. Some of you ladies would probably whoop your man in a throwdown match. Um, that doesn't give you license to start beating up on him either. Either way, either way, uh, it has no place within the kingdom of God. But fellas, before I let you off the hook, he says, fellas, you need to live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. You need to show honor to her in your life. He says, otherwise, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That? You hearing that? That's a, so that your prayers may not be hindered? I wasn't exactly sure how to put that into words because this is like the only place that I can find in the New Testament that makes a statement like that. That in not being a loving, understanding, honoring husband that like my prayers would get hindered with God. And so I had to lean on people a lot smarter than me. And here's what, here's what Dr. Wayne Grudem, one of the great thinkers of the Christian faith uh, and teachers of the Christian faith. He says this, fellas, if you checked out, check back in. You want to hear this. God is so concerned that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. Let that soak in for just a second, fellas. I'll read it for you again. So concerned, God is so concerned that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives, that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. Listen to this. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective prayer life. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way that bestows honor on her. See how that works? That's God economics right there at work, right in front of us. Those are some strong words, fellas. I, I can tell you, like, that verse right there on many occasions throughout Ansley and I's marriage has driven me to want to reconcile with her. Mm. Whereas otherwise I may have dug my heels in the sand because I felt justified and right in my position or my opinion or whatever in the argument. Like, it's that verse right there that reminds me, like, God has commissioned me as the head of my household. God has commissioned me to love and honor her and be understanding. And part of leading my household sometimes is be the first one to ask for forgiveness, to be the first to repent. You know what, Dustin? I, yeah. I feel like my Anzi was about to say something. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think we can also clarify, though, that this verse is not saying we could lose our salvation. Right, yeah, yeah, And you yeah. touched on that in the last two. Yeah, matter of fact, yeah, he's not saying that when... Things are at odds at home, men, that you have lost your salvation. you got to get resaved. But what he is saying is it chokes down the pipeline of your prayer and communication to God. Um, that's John Piper's words. He, he said specifically, it clogs our prayers and ruins our spiritual impact. That's how John Piper responded to that. But, yeah. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for the idea that um, I think the scriptures command us as husbands to be the first to initiate forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption because Jesus Christ initiated mm -hmm. forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation and was the first to move towards us when we didn't want to move towards him. It's a good word, man. It's, it's a hard word. It's a good reminder. Because um, sometimes our 
wives and as husbands, we are so entrenched in our ideas and beliefs that beliefs and justifications that we are right. But I just, I'm arrested by Ephesians 5 and the example that Paul gives that we are to love our wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church. Jesus initiated redemption. He climbed off of the throne of heaven and wrapped himself in human flesh and came to live a life we couldn't live and die a death we all deserved. And therefore, as husbands, we are to initiate redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness, and moving us back into a place uh, so that our prayers are not hindered. We do very much believe, beloved, that the great redeemer Jesus can redeem even the most broken marriage in our church family and community. Yeah. Like he is in the resurrection business. What we're inviting you to do is realign your heads and hearts and reposture yourself around God's word and his ways of doing marriage so that those fractured cracks in the foundation of Christian marriage might be healed by the work of Jesus and truly the world might take note that there is something so different about the marriages of the people of God and that that might be a declaration to a lost world that there is something so different about this Jesus. I hope that if this conversation pricks your heart in any way that you'll join uh, on Facebook uh, Wednesday night at 8 o'clock as Chris and Tina hash this conversation out even further. Uh, we love you guys. God bless you. We want to serve you in the journey of marriage as best as we can in the process. Um, and Ainsley, would you pray over um, our church family and the marriages of our community? God, we're thankful for your word and your truth. God, we're thankful that you designed there to be joy and fun and laughter in marriages too. God, I pray for all of the marriages represented here today, whether it's a wife that's here without her husband or a husband that's here without their wife. God, I pray that you will give them strength and courage and remind them that you have a plan and a purpose for the seasons that they're walking through. God, we pray for those that are not yet married or those that may not even be married, that they will be reminded that you have a plan and a purpose for their life. God, we pray for restoration in marriages that are hurting, that are broken. God, we pray for courage and marriages that might not be a safe place for a season. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have a sovereign design for what marriage is supposed to look like. God, may we worship you through our continual submission. Mm -hmm. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.